Good morning and welcome to Thursday morning, November the 5th in 2020 on When Our Eyes. We're currently in year A, proper week 27, which is the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. And we're getting closer to the end of the year. It's like time for us to get busy on all those end of the year goal lists in the church here. I know that some of us think it's the end of December. Some of us think it's the end of November before we get to Advent. So anyways, we're getting close. We're going to go into year B. But before we do, we got to cover today's passage. So on Thursdays, we like to look at the New Testament text of the week and the letters section in the New Testament. So we're going to be back in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 4, 4, verses 13 through 18. Famous passage. Probably have heard this before. If you read the Left Behind series, you probably are familiar with this. So I'll read the passage, provide a couple points for reflection, then we'll spend our time praying along its theme. So thanks for making this party morning on Winter Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and be got together in a time of prayer. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive and are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will all be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of God for us. Did you ever hear the story about that teacher who handed out a test to a class and said, make sure that you read all the questions before you begin to answer the first one when taking this quiz. And so they hand out the quiz and of course people get working on it and um, little did they know, that the very last question on like the back page says, thanks for reading all the questions before answering your first one. Go ahead and just write your name on this quiz and turn it in because you are finished, right? And so if you listen to the instructions, if you were careful to hear the call, then you wouldn't have to do all the questions. And so perish the thought of all those who were left in the class answering those questions meticulously and getting the last one and figuring out, oh, I totally forgot what this is really all about. Sometimes it's like that in the biblical text too. We get into the weeds of a verse or two or an idea too, and we begin to spin that idea or two, and we forget about maybe what the whole thing's about. And this passage has certainly caused uh, a great spectrum of reflection uh, and some conclusions about what Paul might mean. On one side, you might have folks who take this literal word by word. This is exactly how the end is going to happen. Uh, the Lord is going to return in the clouds, like real clouds. He's going to come back and the dead will be raised from their graves to meet him there. And then those of us who are in Christ and alive will meet them behind um, behind those who are, have fallen asleep or had died. And we're going to be in the air with the Lord and then taken away. This is where rapture theology really gets its footing within the Christian uh, family. And then you've got some who say, no, I mean, Paul is using metaphors all over the place in this 
in this book. Uh, he uses metaphors before this passage. He uses metaphors after this passage. What makes us think that he went from metaphor to uber-literal back to metaphor? And so perhaps there's something else going on here. Keeping in mind that the Apostle Paul is not a Western thinker like us, but he's Eastern thinking, and so sometimes metaphysics is different in the way that they speak about ontology and the essence of things. Um, can be a bit more metaphorical and figurative. So that's like the spectrum of things, right? And I don't want to get into the weeds of that because inevitably in this array of people who tune in on uh, morning after morning on When I Rise, there's people all over the spectrum, okay? I just hope that whatever your end times beliefs are, that you push them into the opinion uh, section and category of your thinking and that you wouldn't attend, you wouldn't refuse that you would uh, refuse, how do you, how would I say that? That you would still attend church with people who disagree with you on end time stuff. Let's just say that. That there's more important things to really grapple with and divide over perhaps in the Christian message. So what can we say though? Remember, this is what's going on here is Paul is comforting, a, he's comforting a church where they have had some significant success in the gospel. They've also had some significant persecution. Remember the title of this passage, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep in death, so you would not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So Paul is addressing, perhaps some anxiety in the church. We've had some people among us, loved ones, family members, dear ones, who have seen the success of the gospel with us. They've left everything to follow Jesus. And they've suffered, they have died, they've died from old age, and they're apart from us. And so what are we going to do? What are we to think about these people? Are they away from us forever? Will we be reunited whenever the summation of things comes to pass? And so you leave that to one side, then you go back to verse 18, the very end of the passage. Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so the main idea is not perhaps getting all the finer details, the gears about how the end times is going to happen, but ultimately it's an appeal to comfort those who have received uh, great grief because of loss in their life. And the great idea of this passage is not so much, okay, who's going to be caught in the air? And since the world is not flat but round, like how's everybody going to see this and how's that all going to work? What's the mechanics of this thing? It's actually... Keep in mind that those who you serve alongside today, you're going to be you're going to be joined with them at the end of all things. Um, those who have gone before us, who know their stories, but we never met them. But man, we re- we would relish the idea of meeting them, right? That we're going to be met with them, right? And uh, there, there's going to be some after us. Like you and I are going to do gospel work today, that we're going to have no idea of the the ringing out and the ramifications of such things. And we're not even going to know the lives that could be impacted because of the generosity that we show today, the humility that we show today, the prayers that we pray today. They will be met with us as well, and they will see the gospel work in its fullness from people they've never met before, but who gave much for their benefit. I think this is one of the great commodities of the church, is that all of our work, if it's done in the Lord, it's not in vain. So today, whatever it is, the prayers that we pray, the generosity that we extend towards others, the hospitality that we have towards others, the way in which we choose to forgive and not to harbor resentment, the way in which we walk with faith and hope and not fear, the way in which we let go of petty arguments for the sake of brotherhood and sisterhood, all those things matter, and it builds up to a great reunion in the days to come. So let's pray that God will give us the spirit of the church, the spirit of love and unity, 
so that we can know that we're working side by side along with other people who are giving faithful work as well. Let's pray together this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're a kind God, that you will not abandon us, that you will not abandon us in death, that you will not abandon us in our grief at the loss of a loved one. God, we thank you that you are stitching together a worldwide family and community. And I thank you that we give ourselves the same gospel work and that we all get to share in the benefits and the results and the fruit of it together. And so, God, I thank you for the church that has gone before us. Thank you for their sacrifice. Thank you for those who gave when they didn't have a lot, for those who prayed, even though there was no signs that you were working, Uh, for those who uh, extended love towards a neighbor, even though it was risky to do so. I think that paved the way for us to experience church like we are today. And so, God, we thank you. We have gratitude in our hearts for those lives who have gone before us. God, we pray for the lives that will go on after us. And so we pray for all of our actions today. We pray for the generosity, for the forgiveness, for the kindness, for the hospitality, for the ways in which we'll teach and preach and proclaim and show humility and great patience with the world around us, that it's somehow paving a path for more people that we may never even meet in the flesh, that they will hear and discover and know the good news of Jesus Christ. And so God, today, May we have our minds apprehended with holy longing to be about the business of our Father today. So God, be with us. Empower us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to pave the way forward in in the way that we reflect on those who paved the way for us in the past. So God, be with the church. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your love. And allow us to be your people in this hour. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.